This is Mount Pleasant United Methodist Church. Welcome to our sermon podcast. As the children, as the children make their way back um, for Children's Church, um, one of the things that runs through your mind, especially at this time, is you know sometimes we can get too dependent on technology. Have you noticed that? You know whether it's your cell phone. Um, whether it's your connectivity to other people, that sometimes we become too dependent. And, and I think every so often in our lives, we can fall into these habits and these, these patterns. And every so often, life shakes you up a little bit and says, you know, let's be honest about who we really are. And so this morning, it's kind of nice to kind of take a break um, from what's going to be up on the screen and think about, you know, why we're here this morning, what worship is really all about. I want to invite you at this time, if you'd open up your bulletin, you're going to find a copy of the the sermon notes. I hope that you'll use those because one of the things that we're interested in is how do we grow as, as a church and as disciples? What are we called to do? And, and we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about these, these moments of decision where we make choices. And one of the quotes that I've always remembered is, you make your choices and then your choices make you. Now, this is the definition in many respects of what it means to be an adult. As children, we don't realize that our decisions have implications, that there is anything longer term than what you want in the here and now. And you find that in in children. Children will have a meltdown um, if they don't get what they want in the here and now. But parents understand that decisions have consequences that lead to longer term. And one of the examples that I've used, whether it's always with with our own children or our own lives, is that if you've ever gone through the grocery store, and they always put all of the sugary cereals right next, you know, right in, in bold color, and what do they always have on the box of a cereal? Like, here's the toy. Let's, you know, it's almost like saying, you know, forget the food. Here's the toy that you get with this thing, right? You're trying to attract the children. And children will go down and they'll say, you know, I want the the one that has the most sugar and the best toy, right? That's that's what kids do. They're thinking in the here and now. As a parent, you kind of look also for nutritional value, or let me put it this way. You should look for nutritional value. And you say, no, we're not getting that. You know, we're getting you cream of wheat, in which case I understand the meltdown if you're having a child. The child has a meltdown because he wants this in the here and now, but you as a parent, you're looking for what is a healthy food for your child for them to grow and to thrive. Now, that's not just for kids. That's for all of us, right? All of us need to think more in longer term. Sometimes we kind of get up on a Sunday morning and you say, but what do I want now? And one of the things that I'm seeing now in our own culture is our own culture is becoming fractured. We we no longer have those values that define who we are. We're going with whatever is in the urgent, and it's actually called the tyranny of the urgent. What do you need now? So, for example, you get up, you say, we should, as a family, we should go to church because, you know, God and spirituality is important to us, unless, of course... There's something else over here. We have to do something else. And then your child says, well, am I, am I part of this community or am I part of that community? And then something else happens and you say, no, 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 we, we can't do that because we've got to do this. And our lives are becoming more separated and more fractured all the time. 
And you're seeing this, I think, you're, being, you're seeing this played out in our lives where our lives are being torn apart. Our, our kids are pulled in multiple directions at the same time because there's nothing really that we believe in or that we think is important. What we do as a church is we try and center our lives and say this is ultimately the greater good. We, we are trying to go from spiritual infants as children. The Apostle Paul said that we should be hungering for spiritual food, for adult food, in order to grow. We want to get that food so that we can grow up to be adults, spiritual adults, that not just the here and now, what is the tyranny of the urgent, but what will be the best for us in the long term. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this concept that has been really rolling around in my brain for a very long time, that trying to encourage you to say you were made for more than where you are. Most of us define our lives by what you do for a living. If you meet somebody on the street and you introduce yourself, one of the first things that you will often want to do is say, what do you do for a living? Or you will define yourself by what you do for a living. And yet, you're made for so much more than that, than just what you do and where you are and what you have. It's about what's inside of you. It's about that creativity. For the last couple of weeks, we've been showing this video um, about creation because oftentimes we lose sight of how marvelous and how, how wonderful that, we, that the people that are around you really are. How magical it is that you can actually walk and talk and, and cre be creative and think and, and have relationships with one another. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and we gather to recognize that we're not just what you can text or how many likes you have or how many friends you have on Facebook. It's about your personality, about who you are, your deeper sense of self. And so we gather this morning to reorient our lives into what is real and what is true. As we begin a new year, we kind of leave behind that story of Jesus' birth. And yet, as we leave it behind, it is our defining moment because everything that we do from here on is defined by that moment. We recognize that we as a church are living in that Christmas spirit, that epiphany spirit. And what I mean is, is that on Christmas, Jesus came as a small baby in a manger in Bethlehem. But we know that he's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to come as a king. We know that he came into a, a place of obscurity with no fanfare and nobody really noticed. But when he comes again, there'll be trumpets. And it says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. We know that there's going to come a time when, when he's going to, he came one time as a lamb. This is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But we know when he comes again, he'll come back as the lion of Judah. And everyone will be aware of who he is and the decision that they've made. So we're here this morning to help us make decisions. And the idea is, is that everything that happens to you today has an, an impact, has a powerful ripple effect on those that are around you and on your own destiny. We recognize that God has called us to be impact people, both in your lives, your family, those that are around you, and for those that you live with each and every day. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, solid food is for the mature who by constant use train themselves to distinguish good from evil. By constant use, by constant participation and, and digestion of what God is doing, we're able to discern what is good and right, what is true and untrue. 
We live in a culture now that is struggling to define what is real. We have culture that says what is real for me may not be real for you. The Scriptures tell us by constantly being aware of the world around us, by focusing on what is central, we can discern what is real and what is true. And so the question that for all of us is, where are we and where do we want to go? In our time together, we want to spend time thinking about the journey that we're on and where do we want to be. And so we began last week with a a central concept that a single decision, one decision at a time, has a ripple effect on those that are around you. They add up. The decisions that you make today will have an impact on your family down the line. Maybe slow and maybe imperceptibly, but eventually, over time, it has an impact. For example, if you find yourself in debt this morning, Americans are carrying a huge amount of credit card debt. Very rarely is that a one big event, but what it is is it's little purchases that add up over time and eventually become this mountain of debt that seems almost um, too much to be overcome. Or maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage that's on the rocks. Maybe very rarely is it just one big event, but it's all these days that add up of, of anger and resentment that eventually build up and they, are, are, they just seem to overwhelm and overcome you. We live in a culture that is dominated by instant results. Have you ever noticed that? If you can take any product and you can put instant in front of it, it's, a, it's an automatic bestseller. If you go to the store and you want a painkiller, you go to the pharmacy, you're just looking for something. But if you can put instant relief, it's a bestseller. If you go to the store and you want food, but you want instant food, oftentimes we will substitute good taste and nutrition for speed and efficiency. But that cascades into other things. How many of you want an instant marriage? Right? How many of you want instant Christianity. I'll be honest with you, I received an email this week, the seven keys to instant abs. Who doesn't want that? It, It isn't what the name said it was, by the way, I'm just telling you. Now, how many of you would open up an email that said, hey guys, 365 days to better abs? Right? We want instant. We want instant results. It's like a little boy, that, a little four-year-old boy went to his mom, and his mom put him up against the wall, and she took the measuring stick and said, you're this tall. And he was so proud. Look at how he was growing. And he came back the next day, and he said, Mom, measure me. Mom said, well, you know, you haven't changed. He said, this is, what a, what a jip. I was expecting to grow another foot. I have a basketball game coming up. We want the results. We don't want the process that goes into it. And yet spirituality, understanding ourselves and understanding our direction is all about understanding who we are and the process, the day-by-day challenges. It's what we call the pathway principle. It's a single step, but one step followed by another. It's the direction that you go. It's the decisions that you make on a regular basis that determines your destination. What you do on a regular basis has an impact on where you end up. Not just a one-time, one-and-done, but a constant consistency is what will make an impact in your life and in the lives of those that you love. 
So we wanted to go back. I wanted to take a moment and go all the way back to to Luke chapter 2. Now, Luke chapter 2 is the birth narrative of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, we we enter the story in Bethlehem. But in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is already starting his ministry. He's already 30 years old. So there's a huge time span that happens in there that we want to cover. It's actually called the awkward years. Actually, if you look that up in your Bible, you won't find it because it's not there. I just made it up. What it really is is the moment where Jesus begins to define his own identity, right? At the beginning of Luke, he's a baby, and by Luke 3, he's an adult beginning his ministry. But there's, at the very end, it's those wonderful years we call adolescence. That Jesus is going through adolescence. He understands those wonderful, awkward years that we all go through. And as he's going through these years, he's beginning to transform. His thoughts are beginning to transform. And we want to enter into that story, into those years, and learn what we can. So I want to begin, I'm actually going to be, begin in um, Luke chapter 2, beginning in the 49th verse. And I want you to hear this, because obviously it won't be on the screen, so you're going to actually have to use your ears to hear this. Now, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now, when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Now, after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Bethlehem. Now, I want to pause there, and there's a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to. First of all, Luke is writing. Luke is the only one who includes stories from this this undefined years as Jesus is growing, and it tells us something about his family. It starts off at the very beginning with two concepts. He says, now every year, Jesus' parents went up to Jerusalem from Nazareth. Now, the distance from Nazareth to Jerusalem is 95 miles. It was a five-day journey. And for Mary and Joseph, they they were craftsmen. Joseph was a carpenter. In those days, they didn't have workmen's comp. They didn't have social security. So if Joseph wasn't working, he wasn't getting paid. This was not just a family vacation to Jerusalem. This was their identity. This was a sacrifice. And it said that every year, his parents went up to Jerusalem for the religious festival, as was their custom. Now, we will hear this later on, even in Jesus' own life, It tells us that at the beginning of his ministry, he was at the synagogue, as was his custom. So Jesus is now living out what was imprinted on him by his parents. We also find that it is a difficult journey through some very arid land in order to get all the way to Jerusalem. And so what we find is 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 in the hard work of decisions that our lives are defined It is in the consistency, the things that you do on a regular basis that will have the most profound impact on your children. On the concept, on the flip side of that, if you are fickle and you change your mind at the drop of a hat, so will they. They will do it in their relationships, they will do it in their careers, they will do it even in their own mind. They will become people pleasers. There's a word that I want to introduce you to, it's called duplicitous. Duplicitous simply means that you are deceptive in both your words 
and your behavior. Your words don't match your actions. What you say on one side don't really play out on the other. And so the challenge for all of us is to leave the world of being duplicitous and really enter into that identity of this is who I really am. That's what we want to pass on to you, an idea or a concept of who God is calling you to be. And for Jesus and his family, they went up every year to hear the story of the Passover. And I, I wanted to think about what would that have been like for Joseph? Remember Passover, G Joseph gets his family together and he retells the Passover story. He said, you know, our family was in, in bondage in Egypt and God, God raised up a savior that led us out of Egypt. And, and we know that when he left us out of Egypt, he's going to come again and he's going to save us again. And I wonder if he looked at Jesus. And he said, but there was a lamb that was slaughtered and, and the blood applied because we know that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And I wonder if his heart you know, skipped a beat as he told the story. I wonder if over and over again, he wondered, what does this have to do with my son? But they lived out this story each and every day, each and every year they would go up to Jerusalem to have that story told and retold because that was their identity. That's who they were. The challenge for all of us this morning is to try and understand who am I? Who am I? And who determines that? You or the clever marketing which often controls our behavior? Moving on in later in Luke, it says his parents didn't miss him at first because they had assumed that he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Now, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, let me just ask you, I mean, the, the Gospels don't go into great detail, but if you'd ever gone anywhere and you'd missed your children for three days, would you, what would be going through your emotions? How would you be feeling? It tells us later on that Mary and Joseph were a little frantic. Would that describe how you're feeling at this point, trying to understand what is going on, what happened to my son? His parents didn't know what to think, and they said, son, why have you done this to us? I have a feeling my mother would not have phrased it exactly like that. Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. And Jesus responded. He said, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he meant. In this passage, what Luke is doing is he's changing our thoughts, right? Mary comes to him and said, your father and I, small f, and Jesus said, but I have to be in my father's house, capital F. He's beginning to change. By the way, this is the first time that term is used for Yahweh. The Holy One is now referred to as Father. Later on, Jesus, after the resurrection, he looks to, his, to, to Mary and he says, Mary, I want you to go to my brothers and I want you to tell them that I'm going on to my father and your father, my God and your God. He is inviting you into that story. Going on, he said, but they did not know what he meant. 
Sometimes what we find in this story is that Jesus stayed behind. Have you ever been in a situation where you have to, by pleasing God, you have to disappoint somebody? By doing what God has asked you to do, maybe you have to disappoint your mother or your family. If you've ever had to make that choice, choose God. He'll be around a whole lot longer. If you ever have to disappoint your boss or disappoint God, which one would you choose? If you had to disappoint the baseball team or you have to disappoint God, which one would you choose? Jesus said, why, why, why do you have to ask me that question? Did you not know where I have to be? This is who I am. This is my destiny. This is my all. The reason that we have such struggles is because we're torn in multiple directions all at the same time. We don't know who to give our allegiance to. And when they returned to Nazareth, then he returned with them to Nazareth and he was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Oftentimes we go past that last part. It's only a sentence, but that one sentence defines almost 18 years of growth. What is happening during these formative years? It tells us a couple of things, and I think there's something about that we can all learn from his experience, and we can all think about, how am I doing? No matter whether you're eight or whether you're 80, we're all growing, we're all maturing. And so let me ask you just personally, it tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom. Now we often know that grades do not define intellect, right? You can probably know people with very high IQs that have a very difficult time functioning among other human beings. Grades do not define intellect just as age does not define maturity. You probably know a lot of older people that act like little children at time, from time to time. Oftentimes, when Jesus is growing in wisdom, it's understanding the relationships between cause and effect. Why, why do people respond the way they do? Where's the brokenness in people's lives? How do we take the turmoil, our wounds, our brokenness, our loneliness, and how do we transfer that into wisdom? How do we learn from our mistakes? How do we say, well, I learned something from that? Jesus is beginning to learn who he is and how people respond. He's beginning to learn and understand. He's becoming, if you will, a student of humanity. He's looking at the people around them and understanding how they behave and what they say and what they do. Oftentimes, we need to gather too as family to understand the brokenness in the people that are around us. We have to look around and say, why are they no longer participating? Is there a brokenness? Jesus is beginning to understand himself and those that are around him. It also tells us that he grew in stature. Now, stature means more than just he grew in height and weight. It means he grew into himself. He grew into an adult. If you will, he grew into a man. He went from a boy to a man. I want to ask you a little bit, maybe I want to talk with the ladies here a little bit. How many of you thought you married a man and you married a boy? Can I get an amen? 
I get... <laughs> the counseling will happen after the service. This is where we're going to, we, we need to be honest with ourselves. Because being a man is so much more than just having a beard and having beer. It's about how you behave, isn't it? It's about being confident in yourself, about being able to stand up and to being able to take a stand and be able to say, this is who I am. Jesus is beginning, be, beginning to understand who he really is because he's going to need that kind of confidence and that kind of strength when he finally goes to Jerusalem to face the powers that be. He's going to have to have that kind of confidence. And I believe that we need to have that as well. We need to have men who are acting like men. And so I began to think, what does that really mean? What does it mean to go from a boy to a man? Well, boys often are unreliable and they're, they're fickle. Men are reliable and they're trustworthy. Boys often get easily scared and run off. Men are confident and they stick around. Boys are probably home today playing their Xbox. Men are here working on their spiritual and relational and emotional lives. Boys can often be selfish. Men are sacrificial. Boys can be easily wounded, but men are courageous. Boys can be flighty. Men are consistent. Boys look for excuses. Men are accountable. Boys act tough when they need to, but men are courageous always. Boys will run away when things get difficult. Men stick around and see it through to the end. Boys will often pitch a fit when he doesn't get what he wants. Men are self-controlled and they listen well. Boys are often self-absorbed where men are more empathetic. Boys want to take care of just their needs, but men see the needs of those that are around them. Following this service, we're going to be talking about Emmaus a spiritual retreat that I, I can't speak highly enough. It will transform your lives, but many of you are not ready for it. We need men that are ready to do that. Some people are too afraid. What will happen if I do something like that? What will they ask of me? Boy. Now, if you're sitting there this morning and you're going, boy, oh, I don't know how, he's gonna, I don't know how my husband's going to take this. I wish he'd get off of this topic. Boy. If you're ready to step up to the plate, if you're ready to do something different, if you're ready to jump into the fray and to see it through to the end, you have become a man. It's time that we begin to be who we were created to be. It's time that we believe that we were more than where we are, and we begin to live that way. Jesus is beginning to understand, and he's growing in stature. It goes on to say that he not only grew in stature, but he grew in favor with God. Now, would you think of all people, Jesus would be in favor with God? That by grace, you are already loved by God? Absolutely. But as your children begin to grow, as they begin to grow and develop, it moves, your, your conversations move from children, guiding your children to conversations as adults, to having adult conversations. They move from your, your ward, your, you're their caretaker, to almost a friend, and, and we begin to have questions and relationships. That's why when Jesus comes out of the water, out of the baptism with John, the heavens open, and God from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
He's growing in favor with God by living out the faith that he is learning. He's learning about wisdom. Why do people do? Who am I and how do I relate to people? He's growing in stature, in confidence, and in consistency. He's growing in favor with God. He has an identity about who he is and who the world is, and he's growing in favor with others, which means he's being a blessing to those that are around him. His friends and his family and his coworkers, they speak well of him. He's there for them. He's there to understand and to be around. Are you a blessing to your coworkers, to your family, to your neighbors, to your friends, to everyone that knows you? Do you are you the kind of person that jumps in and is always there to be a helpful hand? It's those consistencies that make friends, those daily little things that build friendships that last a lifetime. James Clear, who wrote a book that I've been reading lately called Atomic Habits, said the following. He said, it's a very small shift in a direction that can lead to the most meaningful changes in your destination. He uses the example that when a plane leaves from LAX in Los Angeles, headed for New York, if it's off course by three and a half degrees, which is at takeoff, which is probably like 18 inches, but if that is continues throughout the course of their flight across the country, it won't land in New York. It'll land in Washington. A small deviation repeated time and time and time and time again will give the most incredible results. And so he talks about doing little things, little habits, little consistencies that will add up to have a huge impact on your life. One of those impact that I started doing a number of years ago, and it's something that James Clear calls um, habit stacking. By taking a habit that you already have and adding something to it. For example, if you get up in the morning and you get a cup of coffee, which is the only way to start the day, if you get up and you have a cup of coffee, then put maybe a scripture verse on the coffee pot. Pray for my family. Pray for my church. You already do the coffee, now connect it to something else. One of the things that we did a number of years ago is we printed up little cards. One of the ways I start my day is I get up, I kind of stagger to the shower, and I get a shower every morning. And so I put in the shower a little prayer that reminds me of my day, and it kind of goes like this. It would look great if it were on the screen, but just imagine it. Thank you, Lord, for another day, untouched and freshly new. And so, I he so here I am to ask you, Lord, will you renew me too? I know that I'm not perfect. I often lose my way. So take my hand and help me stand to face a bright new day. As I enter the water, O Lord, let it wash down over me, reminding me of my baptism and my daily walk with thee. You take something that you're already doing and you add a special spiritual component to it and it identifies who you really are. So here's a couple of questions that I'm just going to roll through to help you identify where are you in your own decisions, your own day-to-day -day decisions that you make. The first one that I wanted to ask is, today, did you ask God for wisdom today? In James chapter 1, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God and He will generously give without finding fault and it will be given to you. What if you got up today and you said, God, what do, I, what do I not know about my family? What do I not know about my spouse? What do I not know 
about myself that I need to know. Help me to understand who I am and who they are and help me to love them a little bit better. Question number two, who did I encourage today? Who did I bless? In Proverbs chapter 16, it says, kind words are like honey. They are sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. What if you just went up to somebody each and every day and said, thank you for making the coffee this morning. Thank you for being who you are. I I notice in you every day that you always smile at me. Thank you for doing that, for being an encourager. Kind words are like honey, and who doesn't need more of that? Number three, did I listen to wise counsel today? Do you ever ask people? Have you ever sought out advice, recommendations? Do you ever participate in a Bible study in order to learn the deeper things of heaven? In Proverbs chapter 26, it says, lazy people consider them smarter than seven wise counselors. People that don't want to know, don't ask. Seek out the deeper things. Who am I and on what path am I really? How many times are we self-deceiving? We deceive ourselves. I'm good. You're good. Have you ever done that where you go up to somebody and you introduce, you, you see them on a Sunday morning and said, hi, good morning, how are you? I'm fine, good, how are you? I'm fine. Both of them broken. Both of them dealing with things they'd rather not talk about. Do I listen to wise counsel? Number four, who did I spend time with today? Who you spend time with defines who you are, who you become. You become like the people that you hang around with. Proverbs 13, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools will suffer harm. How would you define the people that you hang around with? And last but not least, have I acted with dignity today? When you look back on your day, when you look back on all that you did, is it honorable? Is it something that you're proud of? Is it something that you want to correct? Can you learn from it? Can you continue to get better at who you are and relating to other people. We live in a world that is dominated by instant. There's if even people that drink instant coffee. Can you? Blasphemers. We live in a world that wants instant gratification. We want it now, and we're becoming more like that. We're becoming much more short-term thinkers. It is up to us to go into your families, into your workplace, into your communities, and say, we need to live with intention. We need to live with spiritual depth. We have to recognize that my life is not defined by what I do for a living. It's defined by my character. It begins one decision at a time. You have to make a decision. If If you refuse to make the decision, it will be made for you. But one way or another, you are making a decision. And then you have to stick with it one day at a time. You can't give up. You have to be consistent. You have to say, this is who I am, and this is what I believe. In Proverbs chapter 32, the Lord directs the steps of the godly, and He delights in the details of their lives. Though they may stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. As we conclude today, we want to ask the question about who you think you are and the path that you're on. 
Is it where you want to be? Are there changes that need to be made? There's still time to make that decision, make that choice, and be consistent in the path. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, hear our prayer. We come as people that are longing to walk with you on a daily basis, and yet we live in a world that is torn apart. It is fractured by all of the demands on our time. Help us to clear away the noise and the clutter and the confusion and just hear your voice as it speaks to us about who we are and who we can become. We're here for one another. We're here as a community to continue to build up disciples that will change the world. Help us, Father, to hear your call and respond. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.